Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 12. Just because like everyone's like, oh, you're such a rock star, but it was honestly just taking action. Like I didn't know more than other people. I wasn't like some super genius. I was still like drinking four nights a week, being a piece of crap sophomore in college. But it was just the fact that I went in and started the business that I'm here today. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I am your co host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. And I am here today, as usual, with my brilliant and beautiful wife, Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol? Uh, I'm a really happy girl, honey. I just have to say, guess what, everyone? We are finally officially in Florida, living among mountains of unpacked boxes, but it's totally worth it. So we're recording our first podcast episode from Florida today, and the transition has been challenging but we are so incredibly grateful because all of you, our wonderful listeners, have been so incredibly generous with all your kind words, with your emails, with your feedback, with just all of the great things you've had to say to us. And we are so grateful that through this time when we're launching a podcast and moving, you have all been so incredibly kind and supportive. So thank you so, so much from the bottom of our hearts. You've made this whole experience an amazing adventure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, we appreciate everything everybody has said and all the nice emails and texts. So thank you, everybody, for that. With that said, we have an awesome show today. We have a guy named Cody Berman as our guest, and he is the co-founder and owner of a company called Arsenal Discs, and they make disc golf discs. And if you don't know what that is, we get into that really quick at the beginning of the show. But basically, his company makes a really cool product. And on our show today, he walks us through the entire process, soup to nuts, of what it takes to come up with the idea for a product how to get prototypes made, how to get molds made to actually physically produce your product, how to find production companies to create your product and package it and sell it. Basically, if you're looking to ever, if you've ever thought about starting a product company or you're ever looking to start a product company, Cody tells you step-by-step what you need to do to get out there, create your product and start selling it. Completely. And make sure you listen all the way through to the end because he is truly going to tell you if there's nothing else you do but one thing, he's going to tell you what that thing is to just make sure you get out there and make it happen. So listen all the way through. You're going to love this excellently knowledge-packed episode. Absolutely. And if you want more info about Cody Berman, about his company, or about the things we talk about in this episode, please don't forget to check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow12. Again, biggerpockets.com slash bizshow12 for our show notes. Okay, now let's bring in Cody Berman. Let's welcome to the show, Cody Berman. How you doing, Cody? Hey, doing awesome. So pumped to be here. 
Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to talk to you about um, a lot of things, but especially one venture in particular. So thanks for coming along. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, I'm going to let you give a little bit of backstory about yourself before we jump into that venture that you're currently working on. Can you tell us a little bit about um, just where you started, what you've done in your past and how you kind of got to what we're going to be talking about later today? Yeah, so I won't spend too much time on myself. I know we wanted to get into the meat of the story, but I'll try to give you like a 90-second elevator pitch. So grew up in a family that was really focused on frugality, savings. So I kind of had that money mindset going on, although I didn't really have the entrepreneurial too much of a spirit when I was younger. It wasn't until I was 19 when I read The 4-Hour Workweek, and that book literally transformed my life. I was like, you can earn money outside of a traditional day job, and you can also build up these income streams that if you put the work in, say, for one, two, three, four years up front, you can ride out that income in perpetuity as long as you don't completely screw your company or venture over. It was just like a mind-boggling revelation. And so right when I kind of discovered that book, I started rattling my brain. I'm like, what can I do for a side hustle? Try starting a tutoring company. I was in college at this time. Didn't work out because I just didn't really put the effort in. Tried starting a specialty clothing company. I got as far as phone co- uh, phone calls with manufacturers in China on Alibaba. And I'm like, wow, I'm in over my head. And then the third venture that we're going to get into is a disc golf company. And that's where I kind of first hit the side hustle groove and actually started making some real money and building passive income streams. That's awesome. Now, let's, so just to take a step back for our listeners. So you are, you're young um, and at least compared, compared <laughs> to us, how old are you? I'm 23 You're right 23. now. 23. So you started uh, your your disc golf company, Arsenal Discs, uh, a couple of years ago. And I guess we'll, we'll talk about timelines, but basically for everybody that's listening that can't see you on video – you're a kid. I mean, you're young. You're, you're not a baby, <laughs> but compared to us, you're a baby. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, you started really young. So a- another thing that's worth pointing out, and again, we're not going to talk about it a lot here, but you were a guest on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast last year. So I, I highly recommend that our, our listeners tune into that episode as well. I think it was episode 26. And you're heavily entrenched in the the FI world, the financial independence world. So you have your own podcast and you've kind of gone on your financial independence journey starting really young. So I, I think that's an important thing for our listeners who can't see how young you are. I think it's just an important thing that I wanted to point out. So you got into the disc golf world. You started a company called Arsenal Discs. Can you tell us a little bit about when you started that company, how you decided to get into that business, basically how that all evolved? Yeah, so I think I'll start with the second question first. So I've been playing disc golf since I was eight years old. My uncle and cousin actually kind of brought disc golf into the central Massachusetts area where I'm located right now. They've been kind of entrenched in the disc golf world since like 2001. And so I started playing when I was eight kind of brought up in the whole community. I worked in the pro shop, which is like the disc golf specific retail shop. I was selling snacks. I was returning discs from the lost and found. And so I kind of had the whole community behind me. I knew all these different people. I knew the pros. I was going to all the tournaments and stuff. So grew up with that my entire life. Now, fast forward again to when I read the four hour work week, I'm 19 years old and the stars just aligned. I just saw a gap in the market. It was a lot of these you guys are calling me young. There's a lot of older people that were running these companies, like 50, 60 year old guys who didn't really know how to do social media. They weren't really up on the website stuff. And I'm like, there's a gap that I can fill here. Like I have the tech skills. I have the marketing skills. I know how I can access these 20, these 30 year old people. And so that's kind of the origin of Arsenal Discs. And it's just been a wild ride from there. Very cool. I have a, for a quick question for some of the listeners out there, just in case they don't know, 
uh, just a 10 second overview of what is disc golf. That is a great question because a lot of people are like, I have no idea what that is. They think it's like selling beach frisbees. I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) not at all. So think of ball golf, except instead of hitting a ball into a hole, you're throwing a disc into what's called a pin. And a pin is just metal fixture with a bunch of chains hanging around it. You still have drivers, you have putters, you have mid ranges, you have pars, you have bogeys. It's literally like the same sport as golf, except the tools are different. So instead of getting a ball in a hole, you're getting a disc into the chains or the pin. Cool. And uh, okay, so I said 10 seconds, but I have to ask a little bit more. So where you said your uh, your uncle and, and uh, uncle and who brought it to central Massachusetts? My uncle and cousin, we literally live on the same street. So I'm, I've lived, I grew up from them and they built two courses like back to back year after year. And they just kind of started the whole disc golf trend in central Massachusetts. There was no courses before them. And that was back now 18 years ago, I guess. Really wow. cool. And there are courses all over the United States. Is that a fair assessment? Are they kind of everywhere? Now there are over 5,000 courses Whoa. in the United States. The number has 600% growth over the past 10 years. That is huge. That I had no idea it was that big of a market. That's fascinating. That's crazy. About yeah. Any idea about how many, I'm, I'm sure you know the number, about how many disc golf players there are in the U.S.? In the U.S., it's around one and a half million oh, wow. worldwide. It's around at like three to four million right now. There are a lot of there's a lot of presence in Japan, Scandinavia, but U.S. is probably about a million and a half. No kidding. Interesting. Okay, so you decided to actually start producing the discs, and before we get into that, it, it, it's interesting because I, I love the idea of taking something that you're passionate about, something that you love, something that you know well, and figuring out how to make money from that. But given that it's such a decent-sized industry, I'm now guessing, at first I was like, okay, well, he just, he liked disc golf. He decided, okay, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to make some discs. But it sounds like you could actually create a good business model and you put this down on paper and the numbers should pencil out given the size of the market. So, So what was your business planning? What was your business modeling from the beginning? Yeah. So I guess we'll, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into like the more technical engineering parts, which is totally my business partner, not me, but from the modeling perspective. So I went to school for finance and economics. I know we didn't talk about that, but I had built like complicated models, making sure this will work out. Like if we can penetrate like 0.1% of the market, like we're going to be profitable. And so we were building out all these models, seeing how much it would cost to produce each disc, which we didn't know at first and had no idea, kind of just jumped in blindly. But we, we did definitely kind of pan out and see how many discs are we going to need to sell? What do we think the cost per unit is going to be? What can we retail these for? What's the markup? What's the MSRP? And just doing a lot of market research that, frankly, I had no idea before we kind of dived in head first. And how old were you when you started this this venture? I was 19. Wow. So were you in college? Were you out of college? Yeah, I was a sophomore in college when we started. It was my sophomore going into junior year of college when we made our first prototype. That is I, I, my, my mind is blown right now. That's yeah. that, I like I think about where I was not to make this all about me. But for one second, I think about where my head was at and de- like just the the fact that you had the foresight and wherewithal to realize that this was not only an opportunity, but that you went ahead and you were able to model it out and figure out all of the different components of it is beyond fascinating to me. I love this. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've made the point about you being young a couple times and I don't want to give the impression that that is done in a negative way. It's actually a very Amazing. much, uh, it, it's a compliment. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm jealous. I think a lot of us wish we would have started when, when we were your age and, and a couple years younger when you started. So, okay. So you have this idea for a product in a disc for disc golf and presumably at some point you met your partner. So how did that, what was the origin of you and your partner coming together? 
Um, am I skipping anything um, leading up to you and your partner coming together? What's so basically take us through that the, the beginning of the story uh, of the start of the business? Absolutely. I just want for 20 seconds to clear the slate here. Just because like everyone's like, oh, you're such a rock star. But it was honestly just taking action. Like I didn't know more than other people. I wasn't like some super genius. I was still like drinking four nights a week, being a piece of crap sophomore in college. But it was just the fact that I went in and started the business that I'm here today. So I just wanted to tell you that like I'm not some like rock star Albert Einstein person or anything like that. But the origin story of me meeting my business partner, actually, we went to middle school and high school together and we had been pretty good friends. He kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit to him. Kind of split ways in college. I was going to college for finance and economics. Like I said, he was going for mechanical engineering. And when I had this idea in my head, because we had kind of talked about a few different business ventures and all of them didn't really have any kind of legs whatsoever. But when I pitched this to him, he was super excited. And so he's just like very talented in the mechanical engineering space. I knew that I reached out to him. I knew that I didn't have the capabilities to draw all these CAD designs, which is a computer aided design. I knew that I didn't have the capabilities to run the disks through flow tests and all these fancy things online. I, I knew I didn't, I didn't want to do that and I didn't know how to do that. So I kind of, I just hit him up one night. It was, I remember it was distinctly, it was like 1am. I give him a call. I'm like, yo, Jim, I have this idea. And we talked for like three hours till 4am and we're like, we're doing it. And that's pretty much how it happened. Really cool. So it sounds like you're really different, uh, very complementary strengths, right? You've got all the finance, the business, the marketing piece of it. He has all of the engineering and all the technical capacity. So what did you do once you talked about it and you decided you're going to go for it? Did you kind of model it together from, from there on? Or did you start, did you start getting lots of discs that were already out there? Or how, what did, how did you do your market research and how did you begin making what you made? Absolutely. So going back to something Jay asked earlier was like trying to figure out the pricing per unit and margins and all that stuff. At this point, we had no clue. We had zero idea what it cost to make a disc. We barely knew what retailers were buying the disc for. We really didn't know what like markup was and MSRP, all that stuff. But we just went in and we're like, let's just try to make a disc. So Jim, my partner, starts building these CAD files, the computer-aided design. We're building all these discs out. We, Like you said, we were doing market research. We were taking discs that we really liked, figuring out why they performed better than other discs we didn't like, and then we'd make our own tweaks to them. And so during this whole time, we didn't really have the money to just be pumping out prototype after prototype after prototype. He would run them through this system called ANSYS, which would give us different like flow tests on the computer. You could see how the wind would affect a disc. You'd see the aerodynamics. You'd see how the disc would be affected, whether it would like turn left or right. And so we just did this for months and months and months. And let me just kind of, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but we had a Google Sheets. So just in the disc manufacturing process, I know we're probably going to dive into this a little deeper. There's like three main legs. So there's the prototyping company. So we reached out to I'm not kidding, 70 different prototyping companies, both US and international. There's the mold maker. So a mold is basically a big steel block in the middle of that mold or the steel block is the shape of the disc that fills up with plastic. And once it's done, it cools off, it opens up and the disc pops out. And the last person is the actual manufacturer. This is the person who has the mold in their machine and they're the one who are like pumping out thousands or hundreds of thousands of units. So we reached out to over 200 companies. We had this Google Sheets just trying to figure Um, out where we could get the best pricing, how we could optimize this process. And yeah, let's just kind of take it from there. I don't want to go on a crazy tangent here. (laughs) No, that's a good tangent. I'm curious. And um, so there's these three different legs. How did you even discover there were the three different legs? And I want to back up even more than that to clarify something before we go into the three different leg discovery. So what's your business partner's name? 
James or Jim? I call him Thank Jim. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> so you're saying that Jim had a program on his computer so that before you even physically produce these, you could model all these through this computer system to figure out what it was that you needed in the first place. Is that accurate? Somewhat, yeah. I mean, it is definitely beneficial to test on like real land, but he could run flow tests to see like, okay, this disc is going to fly terribly before we even spent the money to produce it. Very cool. So then you figured out kind of what it was, and then you realized there were these three different legs to have them produced. How did you figure out that you had to go to three different types of, of vendors, if you will? I mean, because I'm sitting here, I think, and I, I suspect there are a lot of listeners too, right? Who are like, I have this product idea, but what the heck do I do with it to get this thing made? And I would suspect most people, you know, maybe they know, they've heard you, you go to China and you figure out how to get something made, but you and Jim figured out there were three very significant different people that you had to work with. How did you discover that? And how'd you make that happen? Honestly, we didn't know going in. We kind of just started reaching out, figuring out what companies would do what and what companies wouldn't do other things. And we quickly realized that there wasn't a company that was going to do all three for us. And if they were, it was not the best cost. Like we were definitely playing on cost here because like I said, I was 19 years old. We were trying to be scrappy. Like we had to get the cheapest price possible for prototypes, the cheapest price possible for molds and the cheapest price possible for manufacturing. Well, actually, that's not true because we did choose to go domestic instead of in China. But yeah, I mean, we just kind of started reaching out. We did a lot of reaching out in the U.S. and China mostly. Uh, we did some Scandinavian countries, uh, a few in India, but it was just kind of guess and check. We had so many different phone calls, talking to people from the plants. Some of the people were difficult to communicate with. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it was just like really grinding. I mean, we were making like five to 10 phone calls a day, sending out like 20 something emails just trying to figure this all out because we did not know. We did, honestly didn't have a clue what we were doing. <laughs> so, so at this point, you have a business plan. So it all pencils out. You realize we can we can make these things and and presumably uh, if we can get them made for the right price, we can sell them. We can turn this into a business and make money. Uh, you hook up with with Jim, and now you figure out like this is what we need to build, and then you get to the next step, which is actually prototyping. And I've heard from people, and and I've done a little of this myself, but I've heard from people that do a lot more of this, that the prototyping stage can be really expensive. What was what was the whole process of getting a prototype made? How much did it cost? Did you have to put in a bunch of money on your own to do this? What, what, what was the whole prototype typing and, and getting your, your first draft of a product, for lack of a better term? What, what, what went into that? Yeah. So that's a great question. And you're really digging into my memory here because now I'm just like thinking back. It was crazy. So we actually went to Jim's school. He go went to UMass Lowell. It's like really well-renowned up in the Northeast for engineering. And we were so pumped. We were going to go in and we were going to machine one of his CAD designs out of ABS plastic using like a lathe and using a machine. And we go in there. We're super pumped. And the guy goes, your disc is too big for the lathe. We have no machines that can do that. And we're just like, are you serious? <laughs> we're like, are you kidding me? So actually, and then we went to another one of his professors Actually, I'm not, I won't give him a shout out on here because I'm about to say something negative, but he goes, there's no way you guys can do this. You're going to fail. It's, it will cost you at least $100,000 to make one disc. And we're like, bet. <laughs> right? You're like, game so, on. Let's go, buddy. <laughs> yeah. We're like, game on, pal. <laughs> seriously. So this, that was our first foray into prototyping and we were just crushed. Like, honestly, I remember the next few days after that, I was like, you know what, Jim, maybe we should just throw in the towel. Like, we probably can't do this. And then Jim and I are like, you know what? F it. I know I can't swear on the show. <laughs> sure you can. <laughs> sure. But, but yeah, we were like, you know what? We can do this. We're scrappy. We're young. We have the energy. And we just started reaching out, like I said, to 70 different prototyping companies. We finally settled on a company in China 
a lot of these companies in America were like, oh, we can probably make that disc for two grand. We're like, what? One disc for two grand wow. is absolutely ridiculous. We ended up finally, after hundreds of, of not, maybe not hundreds, dozens of phone calls, finding this company in China who would make our prototypes for 150 bucks a piece. And so we'd obviously, that's still a lot of money to a 19 year old. Like anyone who's oh, listening yeah. who's older, that's maybe not that much money to you, but to a 19 year old, that's a lot of money. That's like that a lot of beers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. I mean, at that point, we're, we're reaching out. We finally get this one who's we're connected with. They're making the disc for us. And we're just kind of sending in very carefully crafted revisions. Like, we're not asking them for 20 different prototypes. We get a prototype. They send it back on express shipping. We're like, okay, this disc doesn't quite fly. So this is kind of where we go back to getting back on the land and testing them out. Because obviously, the systems are only so much. And then we just kind of revised and tweaked from there until we liked the disc that we got. That's awesome. Yeah. And you hear these big companies talk about, yeah, we, we went through a thousand different revisions and we made minor modifications at 150 bucks a piece plus shipping. I mean, you're probably looking at 200 bucks a piece. You do a hundred revisions. There's $20,000 right there for a 19, 20 year old couple of kids in college. That's significant. Yes. <laughs> it was not a small sum of money. So we were just like really scrappy, like I said. And was that How your long- own cash? Was that your own cash? Or were you borrowing from someone? No, that was our own cash. I mean, I had been kind of, I know we alluded to this a little bit, just I've always been like a side hustler, earning money, saving money. And Jim was the same way. So we had probably like ten or $15,000 saved up when we started this. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. what was the what was the total time from you, you hook up with the, the vendor in China that can prototype for you to you get to the point where you say, we have a product that we're ready to go into production? So I guess this is kind of a, not a cop-out answer, but so we had five different discs that we started with. So we had three drivers, a mid-range and a putter. And so like we had the first disc done probably within three months since prototype number one, but it took like probably six or seven months for all of our designs to finally be finished. And we're like, we are ready to start manufacturing. That's, that's awesome. Okay. So uh, we, we, we <laughs> so have quick. a business plan. We have designs. We now have a prototype and we have a final prototype that we're ready to to get into production. Did you go with the same company in China to do your production or did you have to now start shopping that out as well? No. So we did get a quote from the prototyping company, but figure the prototyping company wants to charge us like five times what other companies in China wanted to charge us to make the molds. So we ended up going with another company in China for the molds. And then oh, there's such a long process getting them shipped over to the United States. You wouldn't believe the paperwork you need to send 500 pound steel blocks over on cargo ships from China. Really? So that was kind of the next step. Yes, it was such a pain. Now, honestly, you guys are kind of refreshing my memory, but you like you, you think back and it's like, oh, that was not too hard. But when you're in the heat of the moment, I'm sure you guys have had things like this in your own lives, own businesses. It's just like all you can think about. So stressful. So just like much. this little thing that you'd never expect. Yeah. <laughs> so much. And I actually want to dig just a tiny bit more. Like you're talking about the paperwork. Are we talking like five pages of paperwork? Are we talking like 40 or 50 or just like so much? It was massively overwhelming. It was like 20, 25 piece of paperwork. Just and to get I had to have my cousin, like I had to give my cousin a POA power of attorney because I had no clue what I was doing. And he's a, co- he's my cousin who's an attorney. And yeah, it was just like really overwhelming. I mean, I was lucky that I had him kind of in my corner. But it was just like a lot. And so it was like hard we were to getting, decipher too. It wasn't yeah, like just customs. A- I got like a call from like a customs agent. I'm like, Jesus, like, wow. I'm just trying to get a mold over here. Right? For, <laughs> yeah. for discs. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Right? Come on. And, and I, I know a lot of our listeners are probably sitting there thinking, 
huh, why is Carol asking about paperwork? Like, but, but, <laughs> but we've, we've done, we've done this before and we know that doing all the, the importing and custom stuff, it's actually a, a complicated part of the whole process. It really is. And I, and another, you know, just to kind of address that. Yeah. I just want our listeners to really, really get in a sense, get an idea of what this whole process is like. I mean, I think Cody's our first person that we've talked to that's had like a physical, you know, non-food type of product. That's a product that needs to be manufactured. And there are so many little nuggets, little bits and pieces to making that happen. I want everyone to get like a really good idea of what that's all about. <laughs> cool. Okay. So you get the molds over here, these 500 pound molds. How did you figure out who to send them to to actually start producing your product? So this is a whole nother journey in itself. So we finally found a manufacturer that we wanted to work with. They gave us a decent quote. They were 20 minutes away from our hometown in central Massachusetts. I don't want to give, give their name a bad name here because I'm going to talk about how we moved away from them later on. But it just seemed like all the stars had aligned. They were super close to us. They seemed like they knew what they were doing. And they were giving us a reasonable price point. So we were like, let's, do, let's work with these guys. We can go in. We can be kind of boots on the ground if we need to go in and check like product quality, if we need to tell them like a specific thing about the disc, like whether it's weight or color. And we're like, this is, this is going to be awesome. Okay. So I want to step back a little bit because I, I think this, this is really important for, uh, not just important, but it's, it's really interesting to me. So you were spending about 150, 200 bucks per, per disc for prototyping. Uh, presumably you got much higher bids than that, but that's where you came in. How much did you pay for the molds? The molds altogether were $12,000. Okay. So that was for, you said five or six molds? Five. So it was one big mold with five inserts. Got it. Okay. So every time you do a pour of the material into the mold, you're actually making one of each disc. Yes. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. So the molds, like think of a mold, like a, like a pizza oven and the mold is the pizza oven. You shove your, like your pizza in and then (laughs) that, like that pizza will keep duplicating. So like, we'll have to put one of our drivers in, keep pumping out that same driver, then do a tool change put our putter in, keep making that same putter. So you had five different, you had a putter mold, you had a, a driver mold, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yep, yep. And so for all five or six of your molds, you paid about $12,000. So a couple thousand dollars per mold. And if people are in like the injection molding industry, like that was a, an absolute that's steal. Really, yeah, that's that's really low. We've we've done some of that and, and, and we were looking at much higher prices than that. That's awesome. Some of our quotes were like 150, 200K in the US. I'm like- Sure. Obviously, we can't afford this. Like we're two college kids, barely scraping by. Not barely scraping by. That's not true. But <laughs> we did sure. not have that much capital to work with. That's awesome. so. If there's a theme of this show so far, it's make a hundred or two hundred or five hundred phone calls because it is possible to do what you want to do, even when the first people, <laughs> when the professor tells you you can't do it, when the first quote you get is a hundred thousand dollars, just keep making just keep those going. phone calls. Take action, That's- like you said. Take action and keep taking action until you get what you need. Yeah. Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. 
When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So, are you ready to get started? Then visit fundrise.com slash bpbusiness. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash bpbusiness. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com slash bpbusiness. Small business owners wear a lot of hats and While some hats are really great, others like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, yeah, not so great. So that's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Oh, and you can even get direct access to certified HR experts too. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. You can do it in less than 10 minutes. And if you're thinking, oh, I already work with tools like say QuickBooks, well, get this. Gusto can integrate with those platforms so you can keep everything in one place all online. So listen up for this offer. Because you listen to Bigger Pockets Business, you get three months free when you run your first payroll on Gusto. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. So try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com slash BPB, like Bigger Pockets Business. Again, that's gusto.com slash BPB. Okay, so a couple hundred bucks for each prototype, a couple thousand dollars for the the molds. You find a pro, uh, you find a company that can actually produce them here, and and so what what happens with that company in, in Boston? So <laughs> this company seemed like they knew what they were doing, but they also manufactured stuff for the U.S. military and like hospitals. So you could imagine that a little disc golf company was not exactly on the forefront of the priority list. So it would be like pulling teeth just trying to get them to run prototypes for us. And then when they ran prototypes, now, people who don't know the disc golf industry, there's very strict manufacturing guidelines. Like your disc can't be too sharp. It has to be a certain rigidity. It can't go over a certain weight limit. The plastic has to be a certain compound mix. Like there are so many crazy regulations. And someone who's never manufactured in that space before, even if you're an awesome manufacturer, it's not just like common knowledge. So we went through so many different iterations of trying to get the right disc, trying to get the right mix, trying to get the right weights with them. And they just honestly didn't know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> I have to ask a question about that. So where'd you find out all those rules and regulations? I mean, I, as you're talking through this, I'm like, okay, I guess that's similar for like a basketball or a football or whatever sports. Is there some type of governing body for disc golf that has all those rules and regs that you had to become really familiar with? Yep. So there's the PDGA, which is the Professional Disc Golf Association, and they have manufacturer guidelines. And so one of the biggest things, this is the big thing we struggled with the most. And anybody who else who's ever maybe ventured into disc golf, I don't know if any of your listeners have, but the weight restriction is very difficult to make a disc in a plastic compound that feels good in your hand that isn't over the weight limit. And the reason why they have a weight limit is because after like a certain weight for a certain size disc, it's considered a deadly weapon. Like you don't want to get hit with a three pound disc in a neck no walking through a state park. 
Oh wow! Interesting. That is so fascinatingly cool and horrible and it's at like the same time. Such but cool. a honestly, I don't know how they came up with the thi- like the regulation, but it's like eight point three times the your diameter of your disc in centimeters is the max weight it can be in grams. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, where's that formula come from? Who knows? <laughs> Crazy. Okay, so did you actually get any products out of this first company? Barely. <laughs> so this is an, oh my gosh, this is, yeah. So we get all these discs. We have probably like 2,000 discs. This is our first run. I didn't even talk about this. So we ran a Kickstarter campaign and oh. raised $10,000 from the disc golf community, like maybe a few months after our idea kind of spurred off. Sorry, I didn't mention this before. I'm just literally just, this is coming back to me now. <laughs> and so we had like kind of a delivery date we had to hit. So during this whole time, like we're frantically making these 200 phone calls. It's not like, Laxadaisical, oh, I'll make a couple today, a couple tomorrow. Like we had a deadline and we wanted to deliver because we didn't want unhappy customers. So we get like an order of, I think it was like two or 3,000 discs from this company. And we're going through them. We're super pumped. We thought they're going to be all good because we weren't like being too close to the eye on product control because we thought they knew what they were doing. And about two thirds of the units were just unsellable. Either they had like divots in them or they're over the weight limit. And so we're down to like, 800 discs. And I think our Kickstarter, we had like maybe 700, 750 orders. Like we were just scraping the like maximum or the minimum that we could possibly produce at the quality standards we wanted to fulfill these orders. So we were like rifling through till, I think we stayed up till 6am or 7am one day. We were rifling through discs for, I don't even know, 16 hours straight. And then we're just like so disappointed because two thirds of them were garbage. Oh wow, that's, my that, gosh. That's, you, that's even more that's even more disappointing awful. given that it came from a company that was used to making stuff for military and hospitals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So were you and Jim just like up all night, just like dropping every four-letter word there is, like throwing stuff everywhere, just so angry and so miserable and so dejected? Or like how are you feeling throughout this whole thing? We were feeling crushed. Like we had a scale next to us. Like I said, the weight limit was the biggest problem. So we'd weigh like three discs. One of them would hit the weight limit. The other two, we just whip at the wall as hard as we could. (laughs) It's going to drive all company in there when you're tied. Oh, that would be horrible. So sad. So so you did have a few usable discs here. Did the manufacturing company, were they also dealing with your packaging? How is, how are you doing the packaging? Cause presumably the, the discs had to get packaged in some way for your end users. So for that first Kickstarter campaign, Jim and I did all the packaging for over 700 discs. <laughs> it wow. was wild. And it was within like a four day window. We did that. What? Yeah. <laughs> That was like a non, a non-sleeping adventure for sure. It was not a sleeping adventure. That is for sure. <laughs> so where did you go from there? So I, I assume it was that first run, the last run that they did, or did you give them another shot? No, no chance. We were like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And they're like, oh, this was just sampling. We didn't know this was for final products. And we just had a debate with them. We didn't want to get lawyers involved. So we're just like, all right, we're moving. So we find another company in Massachusetts in Western Mass. And this isn't our end destination. Don't worry. We're still going on the ride. <laughs> They were much better about the manufacturing. They were much easier to comply with. We were higher up on their priority list. But again, like I said before, if you've never manufactured disc golf discs before, then you have no clue what you're doing. And like, there's so many intricacies and idiosyncrasies that come with the manufacturing of these discs. And so again, we're, this is almost a year actually where we're kind of just like fuddling around with this, with this company and some, some units would be good. We're still selling, but it wasn't going like quite as planned. So frustrating because it sounds like you had all this stuff on the front end. You had it like you just were just 
jamming through it and it worked and it worked and it worked, but then you're getting this actual production is where you're, is just the, all the glitches are. So what'd you end up doing to finally find someone good? <laughs> yeah. So we're with this company for, I think a year and a half out in Western Massachusetts. And it's literally just a battle trying to get good discs out. It's so much harder than you could have possibly imagined and way harder than we could have ever imagined. We finally end up teaming up with beginning of this year, actually conversations in late 2018, one of the biggest or one of the bigger disc golf manufacturers. So this is someone who actually has experience finally, like hallelujah, someone who can make our discs and they send us like our first a hundred samples and they're all perfect. And we're like, oh my gosh, like this is what we've been waiting for for three years. The skies opened up. You're like, yes. yeah, this is going to happen. That's yes. a beautiful when thing. Say, when, when, you, when you say manufacturer, is this a brand that you're competing with or is this just a company that that is making discs for other companies? So this is, they have their own brand, but they also do manufacturing for other companies. I can't name them because we do have an NDA, but (laughs) they do manufacturing for other companies. They've been in the industry for 25 years making these discs. So they know exactly what the hell they're doing, which was such a relief compared to these other companies who are just kind of messing around and hoping things work. Very cool. So you've got someone to, you've got someone to manufacture them now. So that's a beautiful thing. But then of course there's, you know, in, in anybody wanting to, uh, to sell a product, there's a whole distribution and selling and who do you sell them to and how do you sell them and, and all of those things. So let's start with that. How'd you figure out your distribution? And, and who, I guess your market is, and correct me if I'm wrong, your market is disc golf players, correct? Yes. Okay, yep. great. And how do you reach them? Yeah. So when we first kind of started getting our customer base, so I, like I mentioned before, we were doing this Kickstarter campaign, but honestly, so something that's interesting about the disc golf community is that there's all these local Facebook groups. So Jim and I were in like over 400 local Facebook groups. We were talking to people who are running tournaments. We were talking to pro shop owners. Like I mentioned before, a pro shop is a disc golf specific retail store that just sells disc golf products. So we're just hitting all those up like as hard as we can. Like you kind of mentioned before, it's really about that boots on the ground. Like we weren't spending 10,000, tens of thousands of dollars on Facebook ads. It was all just interacting with individuals, like making phone calls, being in Facebook groups. That was kind of our whole marketing strategy from the start. And yeah, I mean, we just, that, we've kind of stuck with that and it's, it's been really good up to, up to this point. Very cool. So with 400 different groups, you and Jim are integrally involved with them on a one-on-one basis to really get the word out and get your products sold. Yeah. We try to do like, I think our goal was like, we would do like 30 a day and we just post in there, say who we are, say we're a new company. And I mean, some of them hated us and banned us, but other ones were like, oh, this is so cool. Like, we'd love to chat with you. Maybe you can like sponsor our tournament or whatever. And that's kind of how it all started. Just getting our name out there. Awesome. awesome. Do do you sell on Amazon or any of the, uh, or any of the online sites as well, or is it direct or strictly direct to consumer? So you kind of catch, catch me in a weird time right now. So we were selling on Amazon before we are going to be selling on Amazon in a little bit because we're doing a huge production run actually in the next couple of months, like probably a couple tens of thousands of discs. But Amazon's margins, I mean, you know, Amazon, it's like kind of like Walmart where they just gouge you on the margins. We make so much more money when we sell direct to consumer or when we sell to pro shops. And sorry, Carol, I know I'll get back to your question. Great. You said like, what are our distrib- distribution channels? So we mainly sell to what are called the pro shops. Like we'll sell them say a hundred or 200 discs at a wholesale pricing and then they'll sell at retail with like a 40 or 45% markup. Okay. But we also sell direct to consumer. So we're selling like, if, if you want to go on and buy one of our discs, you can buy it at retail price, like an MSRP. So Very that's cool. like our, that's our, our main distribution channels. We also do like tournament sponsorships where we're giving away discs just for brand awareness and stuff like that. But that's mainly how we just get our discs out to market. 
Okay, so you have a company that manufactures the discs. They send them directly to a company that does all of your fulfillment. They do the packaging, and then presumably they get the orders. Either you send them the orders or they get the orders directly, and then they send them out. So at this point, you're never touching your product. You are, you're comfortable that the manufacturer is creating a product that um, is essentially defect-free and that they're being fulfilled. And, and so at this point, you're basically hands-off of the production and fulfillment side of things. Is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. Only, like I said before, if we have a special run, like I like to see the discs, if we're doing like a special plastic, of course, I'd want to see them before we sell them. But yeah, pretty much hands-off in terms of fulfillment, just doing marketing and website stuff and that type of things. And this was just, what, 2016? So just three years ago, right? That you started this whole thing? So in three years, even though you're so very humble and you're like, I didn't know what we were doing and we were just guessing and so on and so on and so forth, you kind of took that whole four-hour work week concept that you talked about that really transformed your life and you have managed to create a product that you don't physically have to touch anymore that is generating income on a regular basis. Congratulations. That's very cool. Very cool. Thank you. <laughs> Love That's it. That's awesome. So can we talk a little bit about your numbers? Are you comfortable talking a little bit about your numbers? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we talked about all the costs getting up to production. What are you now spending to produce a disc? So one disc, like soup to nuts. So we also stamp the discs. I don't know if people know about disc golf, but most of the discs are decorated with a stamp on top, just like designating, hey, this is the 50 cal. That's one of our discs. Or, hey, this is a, this is the other putter. And so everything all together is about $5, just rounding because um, it depends on the plastic and stuff, but it's about five bucks to produce a disc. Got it. And what do you sell them for? Wholesale, we're either between eight fifty and nine, and retail, it's like fourteen or fifteen ninety nine. Got it. Okay, so so your margins are are somewhere your gross margins, and when we say gross margins, that's basically the sale price to the production price, um, somewhere in the forty to sixty or seventy percent range. Exactly. Awesome. That's really cool. good. So what outside of the production costs and the actual materials costs and and the and the packaging and all that uh, do you have other employees or contractors are you doing other stuff or is the additional development stuff or is that still you and your partner So we're pretty lean in terms of like hiring contractors we will hire a contractor say we need graphic design but we'll just go on like Fiverr we're not trying to pay other people's salary or like have people working for us and be in charge of them. So most of the stuff that we need done that we don't know how to do, we just go on like a Fiverr or Upwork and have it done for us. That's awesome. And so where are you spending most of your time these days? Are you developing more products, new products? Um, are you focusing on sales and marketing or something else? What are, you, what are you doing mostly in the business these days? Yeah. So I've definitely honestly been focusing less time than I should have on the business. I've just been doing a bunch of other random ventures too. But most of the time focusing on marketing, developing new products, developing new strategies, figuring out like, hey, how can we go and sponsor 10 new tournaments this year? Or like, how can we make this cool, like one disc challenge? Just like stuff like that. Just kind of creative marketing is probably what I spend most of my time doing. Cool. And have you gotten any copyrights or patents or uh, any, have you, have you protected your intellectual property? How do you, is there a way to do that with, with these types of, of products with, with these discs? So when you file like your disc with the PDGA, your design itself is automatically kind of like patented within the disc golf world. But we also have design patents on our like actual stamps for the disc as well. Awesome. So someone couldn't go sell our exact stamp on a disc. Oh, that's really <laughs> neat. Back to the marketing thing real quick. Where'd the name Arsenal come from? 
honestly, I don't know. We were just kind of spitballing back and forth, and we wanted like all of our discs have like a weapon themed name to go with it. Just to give you an idea of the demo of discs, it's like mostly 20 to 40 year old men. And so we're like, this is going to appeal with them. And so all of our discs have to deal with like some kind of weapon. Like that's why it's called Arsenal Discs. And a lot of people are like, oh, like, is that like, do you have this disc in your arsenal? Like that's like something that people would say in disc golf. Ah, very cool. Very clever. I love that. <laughs> love it. Well, unless Carol, unless you have anything else, I think now is a great time to jump into the next segment of our show, which we call the four more. Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. Okay. So the four more is where we're going to ask you four questions. And then after that, we're going to give you an opportunity to tell us more about where people get in touch with you and where they can buy your awesome discs. How does that sound? Awesome. Sounds good. Okay. Carol, do you want want to take question number one? Of course. I'm going to take the first one. So Cody, what was your first job or your very worst job and what lessons did you learn from it? Ooh. Okay. First job was working in the disc golf shop, like handing out snacks and lost discs. I was 10 years old (laughs) making five bucks an hour. (laughs) Worst job, honestly, was being a waiter. I hated serving people. (laughs) I'm right there with you. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, next question. So what was that defining moment when you realized that you had the entrepreneurial itch and you wanted to kind of go out on your own and start your own venture? I think it was definitely for our work week. I got to get a shout out to my man, Tim Ferriss, because that was just life-changing, realizing that you didn't have to work in a corporate job to succeed and make money. Good, good. And I want to ask, what's an opportunity along the way that you have said no to? And you still think it was the right decision? Yeah, we've definitely had some people reach out who wanted partnerships and things like that, that we just didn't think it was a good fit at the time. And looking back, honestly, I wouldn't really change anything. I think we've had a good trajectory, even though we've been a lot of ups and downs. Like I said, I mean, we've had so many times where we were close to giving up and I don't think I would change it at all. That's awesome. Okay. Question number four. Can you tell us something that you've recently splurged on that was totally worth it? Ooh. I'm so not a splurger. Let's see. I just recently went on a vacation down with all my college friends in Florida. Although I didn't splurge, I did travel hack the flight and everything, but I did spend more money than typical. (laughs) Awesome. Where in Florida did you go? It's Palm Coast. So it's like the northeastern part of Florida. Fun. What a good time. It was awesome. That's a really good splurge. Awesome. Okay. So thank you. Those are our four, but the last one is the more. Where can our listeners find out more about you? And your products. And your products. Absolutely. So I'm going to cheat here and send them to two different locations. So if you're listening to this podcast, I also have a podcast called The Fi Show. Like you mentioned at the beginning, Jay, we didn't talk about my financial independence journey too much, but I'm really passionate about that subject. If you want to hear about really cool people retiring early and figuring this stuff out, definitely join us there. If you want to check out the discs at arsenaldiscs.com. Don't worry if you forget the second S, it will redirect from Arsenal Disc as well. <laughs> but and that is for, where you can and, find me. And for those that might not know, disc is D-I-S-C, not D-I-S-K. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Cody, this was absolutely awesome. Um, I love not only hearing about your journey, but we really appreciate you walking through literally step by step on how you developed a product that that came from your mind and turned it into a successful business. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for having me on. And for anyone out there who's like thinking of starting a physical product business, 
Obviously, we did not take the optimal route. We switched manufacturers three times. We reached out to over 200 companies. But just the fact that we got started, like I said before, is literally why I'm sitting here talking to you guys today. So if you're thinking about it, there is a way to do it. Whether you have to make 500 phone calls, 1,000 phone calls, pull some strings, there is a way that you can make your dream happen. I think you just uh, took our closing away from us. (laughs) Thank you. Speechless. Speechless. That was beautiful. Thank you you for that. That was a perfect summary. Cody, thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again soon and hearing an update on Arsenal Discs. Thanks for having me on. It was a ton of fun, guys. Thanks, Cody. That was our show with Cody Berman. What did you think, Carol? Absolutely. Hands down, loved every little last bit of it. I know that there are lots of people I've talked to and, and I myself have have definitely had all these different ideas throughout the years for this would be a really cool product. Why doesn't somebody just invent that? But it seems has always seemed like such a big nebulous thing. Like, where do you even begin to put all of those puzzle pieces together to make that happen? And Cody just went through and told us step by step how to do it. And most importantly, he said in there, remember, and it's amazing. He started this when he was in college at age 19. He's like, I wasn't a genius. I just took action. And he just reminded us that that is really all it boils down to at the end of the day, not just sitting back and waiting and just, you know, and just hoping someday someone's going to wave a magic wand and it's going to happen. He actually took action. So I love that he reminded us that that is the secret sauce. Yep. And as the numbers guy, I love the fact that he was willing to tell us how much everything costs, how much he's selling things for, how much money he's making, his margins. So I love the fact that he was willing to really dig in and go into details on the financials. Yeah, it was super. Awesome. Okay. So do you have anything else to add before we sign off? Let's wrap this baby up and go enjoy the Florida sunshine. Okay. Thank you so much, everybody. She is Carol. I am Jay. Now get out there and take action today. Have an awesome day, everybody. See ya. Bye.